Well, we are continuing our Lenten sermon series that we began last week, looking at the feasts um, and uh, festivals uh, in the Jewish calendar and how they point us to Christ. And so this morning, uh, to help orient us to that, we're going to look at our passage in Leviticus 23, read verses 6 through 8, uh, and then we'll turn back to Exodus chapter 12, uh, where a fuller explanation of the Feast of Unleavened Bread is given to us. Uh, So Leviticus chapter 23, that is page 120, uh, looking at verses 6 through 8, and then we'll jump to Exodus chapter 12. And look at verses 14 through 20. I hear the word of the Lord. And on the 15th day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread to the Lord. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. But you shall present a food offering to the Lord for seven days. On the seventh day is a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. Then turn back to Exodus chapter 12, page 63. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly. And on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days. But what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this very day, I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the 14th day of the month, at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread. Until the 21st day of the month, at evening. For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel. Whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land, you shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwelling places. You shall eat unleavened bread. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I would like to begin this morning... Uh, by asking a question. And so I'm going to put the question out there and then I'm going to let it simmer in your minds for a brief moment and then we'll uh, continue. But here's the question. Does God require holiness for salvation? Does God require holiness for salvation. The correct response to that question should be, well, Pastor Patrick, what do you mean by salvation? If by salvation I mean the fact that I am adopted into God's family by faith alone, 
and that all I have to do to receive the gift of forgiveness that he offers every sinner in Christ is receive that gift. If by salvation I mean the moment when I first really hear God's voice and believe that Christ is mine and all of his benefits belong to me simply because I trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ alone to pay the debt of sin that I owe to God and to transfer me from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, then the answer is no. You see, to be redeemed from slavery to sin and to become God's child and to enter into a right relationship with him, even though we don't deserve it, is a gift of God's grace that we receive by faith alone. And when we receive that gift, we are saved. And like any gift, we do nothing but receive it. And holiness is not required. Now that definition of salvation corresponds or is like what God did when he brought his people out of slavery in Egypt. He rescued them out of slavery. Their firstborn sons, as we saw last week when we were taught about the Passover meal, their, their firstborn sons were saved and spared because they put their faith in the blood of the lamb that they painted onto the doorposts of their homes. And God, in a very real, very true sense, saved the people of Israel out of Egypt. Just like he does for us when he saves us from our sins at the beginning of our Christian walk. But, in another sense, the people of Israel had a long way to go. They had a long way to go before their salvation was complete and they were able to fully and finally rest in the promised land. They did not know it yet, but uh, they were going to be wandering around in the desert for 40 years. And one of the main things that God taught them during those 40 years from giving them the law to dealing with them and their rebellion for 40 years was that holiness is absolutely required of God's people. Commenting on that generation that wandered in the desert, the writer of the Hebrews says this. He says, for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? So they left Egypt led by Moses. They were, they were saved out of Egypt. And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. So even though they were saved out of slavery in Egypt, they weren't ultimately saved because they sinned and they were disobedient between Egypt and the promised land. In the same chapter... The writer of the Hebrews says this, he says, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed 
we hold our original confidence firm to the end. You see, if by salvation we mean enduring the trials and temptations of this life and entering the ultimate rest and the ultimate promised land of heaven, then holiness is absolutely required for salvation. Later in the book of Hebrews, the writer says this, strive for peace with everyone. And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You see, the feast of unleavened bread is the instrument, the picture that God gives his people as he's forming them into a community of his people to teach them that holiness is required. I have four brief points to unpack this this morning. Uh, The Feast of Unleavened Bread first teaches us that holiness is required. Point number two, holiness begins immediately. Point number three, holiness is all-consuming. And finally, holiness is also a gift of God's grace. So point number one, holiness is required. So last week, Pastor Dave used Exodus chapter 12, verses 7 through 13 to teach us about the Passover. And that is the place... Uh, in the Bible, where the Passover is first introduced. Uh, It's also first introduced in the storyline of Exodus. And it's actually introduced before the people of Israel actually leave Egypt. And God is teaching them, as Pastor Dave taught last week, about his grace. He's teaching them about how the blood of the spotless lamb, this perfect substitute, will save them from his wrath if they trust in him. And if they put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of their homes. And he's teaching this to them before he actually saves them. Because he wants to see, will will they believe me? Will they trust me? Will Will they listen to my words? Will they believe my promises? And will they put that blood on the doorposts of their homes? And what's interesting is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. God also introduces at this time as well. Our passage from this morning is Exodus chapter 12, verses 14 through 20. The the section that immediately follows what we went through last week. And so God is teaching them about the blood of the lamb that saves them from his wrath. And at the same time, through the feast of unleavened bread... He is teaching them how they ought to respond to the grace that God has shown them. And all of this teaching comes before they actually leave slavery in Egypt. In fact, the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread that lasts for a week after the Passover are so closely linked that many scholars consider them to be the same feast and the same festival. The unleavened bread is eaten during the Passover. The feast of unleavened bread begins at sundown the same night. So most Jews would have still been eating their Passover meal when the feast of unleavened bread officially began. That's because they counted a day from sundown the night before until sundown the next day. The Passover reminded them of God's gracious provision of the blood of the lamb who suffered God's wrath in their place. And the Feast of Unleavened Bread was the teaching tool 
for how they were to respond to God's gracious act of rescuing them out of slavery in Egypt. The Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread are two parts of the same whole teaching what complete salvation is really like. Now, how does the Feast of Unleavened Bread teach us that holiness is required for salvation? Well, the first way that the Feast of Unleavened Bread teaches us that holiness is required for salvation is just through the picture of what leaven is itself. Um, So the way an Israelite would have added leaven to their bread is very similar to the way that many of us add leaven to the bread. I had one time somebody, I told somebody, I I would like to make that sourdough that, that you're making. And they said, I'll get you a starter. And I said, okay. And they got me a starter and I I brought it home and it was in this jar and it was sitting on my counter and there's all these instructions that I had to do. I had a little bit of water, I had to add flour, I had to do all this stuff and I couldn't even keep up. So that starter just spoiled on my counter because I didn't put in the effort to figure out what to do with it. And that's because what that starter is, is it's this little rotten piece of bread, right? Because it's, it's rotting and it's fermenting. And what happens with bread is you mix that starter into the bread, into the new batch of dough, and it permeates the entire batch of dough, and then it continues to rot and ferment. And when it's rotting and it's fermenting, it's releasing these gases, which cause the bread to rise. And that's how you get your yummy, fluffy bread from a batch of rotted, fermented dough. Isn't that great to know? So literally... Leaven is something that corrupts a batch of dough. By commanding the Israelites to eat unleavened bread, God is commanding them to keep the corrupting influence out of the bread. The next way this feast teaches that holiness is required for salvation is through the consequence for failure to keep the feast. If you look at verses 15 and 19, it says, Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. And then God repeats himself in verse 19. For seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. And so to be cut off from Israel is to be cut off from salvation itself. There is no salvation apart from the people of Israel. And so if you're somebody who chooses to partake of leavened bread... During the Feast of Unleavened Bread, what you're saying is, I don't really believe God. I don't really believe his words. I don't trust him when he speaks. And if that's who you are, then being cut off from Israel is simply somebody saying, well, then you're not part of us. You're not one of us. If you don't believe God and trust his words when he speaks, then you are not one of God's people. So regardless of whether or not the average Israelite understood that leaven was a metaphor for sin, they sure certainly knew that failure to obey God's commands with respect to this feast was sinful and the consequence severe. And the truth is, we all know intuitively that holiness is required for salvation. 
So think about it. If I wanted to start a custom almond almond harvesting business, which will never happen, but if I did, I would try to start it with as least amount of capital as possible. And so I would go and I would try to find a sweeper in a junkyard that was destined to be crushed into scrap metal. And I would buy that sweeper and I would bring it home and I would park it in the parking lot. And then, and then if I came and announced to you all, I have rescued this sweeper from the junk pile, you would all think I was ridiculous. Because it's not until that sweeper is restored and it's returned to pristine beauty and is out running through the almond orchards, harvesting and sweeping up almonds. It's not until that sweeper is doing the very thing that sweeper was created to do that anyone can realistically and legitimately say that they have saved that sweeper. Holiness is required for salvation. Which takes us to our second point. Holiness begins immediately. See, I believe some who profess to be Christians live in a fantasy world that goes something like this. They tell themselves, I know I shouldn't fill in the blank with your particular besetting sin, but at least I know God will forgive me. But the Feast of Unleavened Bread teaches us that we must leave behind the old life immediately. It is urgent. It is built into the fabric of what this feast is meant to teach us. First of all, the Israelites were already eating unleavened bread during the Passover meal. As we've already pointed out, there's no gap between the Passover meal and the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. God instructed the Israelites about the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread at the exact same time before they were to celebrate either one of them. So to partake in Passover and to accept that the blood of the Lamb has covered your sin is to also participate in the Feast of Unleavened Bread and to rid your life of all sin. Both of those things go together. They are inseparable. You can't have Passover without the Feast of Unleavened Bread. To be covered by the blood of the Lamb is to remove sin from your life. To have salvation simultaneously and immediately is to live a life of holiness. To follow Jesus is to count the costs. Pick up your cross and follow him. To have a savior is to also have a Lord. When God moves in our life, when he opens our eyes to see who he is and all that he's done for us, that reality demands an immediate response. And this is actually built into the reason that we're given uh, for the Feast of Unleavened Bread as well. If, If we look further on in chapter 12 of Exodus, we're told about the 10th plague where God does come and he does kill the firstborn of every child in Egypt that doesn't have the blood of the lamb on their doorpost. And the people of Egypt are so horrified finally by this last plague that they they want the Israelites gone. And we read this in verse 39 of chapter 12. And they baked unleavened cakes 
of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. If you wanted to be part of God's people, and you wanted to be part of his salvation, as he was carrying them with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm out of Egypt, you didn't have time for your leaven. You had to let it go. If you're going to wait there and take time to consider whether or not your sin is a sin that should be left or not, it's too late. You're gone. It takes time for that leaven to get worked into the dough. It takes time for that leaven to be in the dough and to rise. If you wanted to leave Egypt with everyone else, you didn't have a choice but to eat unleavened bread. Holiness is required. Holiness begins immediately. And next, holiness is all-consuming. When we start considering the subject of holiness in the life of the believer, we immediately run into a tension which maybe some here have already considered this morning. And that's the fact that we know we're sinners. And we know, because the scripture says so, and our own experience tells us that we will be sinners for the rest of our lives. And so what we end up doing, I think, is we end up asking ourselves, well, how much holiness is required? And the imagery of the Feast of Unleavened Bread helps us answer that question too. But before we look at that, first we must be honest with ourselves. If we're asking the question, how much holiness is required, what we're really asking is this. What sins that I don't want to give up can I continue to enjoy and indulge in without losing heaven? We've got to be honest. That's, that's really what we're trying to figure out. But the Feast of Unleavened Bread shows us that that is not even a question we should be asking. To celebrate the feast, you don't just not eat leavened bread. But you remove all of the leaven from your house. Look at verse 15 again. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. So God says, look, I don't want you eating leavened bread for a week. But so you won't be tempted to eat any leavened bread. Get it all out of your house. Don't even have it near you. Just imagine what it would take to remove all of the leaven from your house. First of all, you would have to learn everything in your house that has leaven in it. I did a little research. No crackers, no cereal, no pasta noodles, no baking powder, no baking soda, nothing made with wheat, rye, oats, or barley, no beer, no grain-based alcohol, no croutons, no breadcrumbs, no granola bars, and no Kit Kat bars. This means we must know God's word so well that we can identify the things in our lives that are filled with sinful leaven. 
And if we're in doubt, just get rid of it. Not only would you have to figure out all the products in your house that might have leaven in them, you'd also have to figure out all the places in your house leaven might be hiding. The dried breadcrumbs underneath your refrigerator. The cookie crumbs in the pocket of that old sweater. The cupcake wrapper under your daughter's bed. The dried pizza crust in your oven. See, this is a picture of how vigilant we must be in identifying and eliminating sin from our lives. And we are to be vigilant like this, not just for seven days, but for our entire lives. You see, the Apostle Paul imagines all of the Christian life as the Feast of Unleavened Bread. He says in 1 Corinthians 5, Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. You see, leaven is our sin. We have to identify our sin so we know what things need to be taken out. We need to know God's law so that we can do that. And then we need to clean our house so we're not even tempted to eat it. But sin is also false ideas about God and false doctrine. Jesus says to his disciples, he says, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And Jesus there is talking about their teaching We, we have to be so vigilant that we know God's truth so well that we cannot be persuaded by a false teacher. But the Feast of Unleavened Bread wasn't just about removing leaven from their home and not eating leavened bread. It was also about worshiping God every single day. Look at verse 16. On the first day, you shall hold a holy assembly. And on the seventh day, a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days. But what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared for you. So the first day, worship. Everyone get together and glorify and worship God. On the last day, the assembly, everyone together again, worshiping and glorifying God. The days in between, we're told in numbers. Verses 20, uh, verse, chapter 28, verse 24. This is talking about the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It says, in the same way, you shall offer daily for seven days the food of a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. It shall be offered besides the regular burnt offerings and its drink offering. Friends, the question of how much holiness is enough is absurd. Scripture tells us to remove all leaven, all sin, all false ideas about God, and then to worship him every single day with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. Because holiness is required. Holiness begins immediately, and holiness ought to be the all-consuming passion of our lives. How do we do this? Takes us to our final point. 
Holiness is also a gift of God's grace. I began this morning by asking if holiness is required for salvation, right? That was my beginning question. And if we understand salvation is including all of life from the moment we are justified and come to know God, to living faithfully through all the trials and temptations of this life until we enter God's rest and the ultimate promised land, the answer of whether or not holiness is required for salvation is yes. But (laughs) if we say that holiness is required for salvation, how can we also still say that we're saved by grace alone through faith alone? If we say holiness is required for salvation, how can we still say that I come to Christ and I I contribute nothing to my salvation? Because if holiness is required in any way, shape, or form, then aren't I earning my salvation somehow? No. Because holiness is a gift. We don't earn our holiness. Christ gives it to us. He works it in us by the power of his spirit. God is the one who gets all the credit when we grow in holiness. When we start to hate the things that we once loved and love the things of God that we once hated, that is something that God accomplishes in our life. It may feel like we're working really hard. It may feel like I'm the one putting to death sin and confessing my sins And exposing my sin and shame to people so I can be held accountable. It may feel like that. But that's because God is at work in me. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 2, he says this. Therefore, my beloved brothers, as you have always obeyed. So now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is willing your willing. God is working the holiness in you. Because it is his good pleasure to do so. It pleases him like nothing else to take a wretched sinner And to make him into a saint. To to buy that sweeper from the junkyard. And to restore it. To do the very thing that it was created to do. Verse 17 of our passage, we get the reason why we should celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It says, and you shall observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread. For on this very day, I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. God saves us. God is saving us. And God will save us. We are holy because of what God has done. We pursue holiness because of what God has done. Jesus, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Our day in and day out holiness is bound up in what God has done for us in the past and what, is, what he's saving us for in the future. Now, We have a problem because if holiness is required for salvation, 
if it begins immediately, and if it's the all-consuming passion of our lives, then all of us are probably thinking, I don't necessarily disagree with you, Pastor Patrick, but that seems impossible. Right? But then when we layer on the fact that, oh, no, no, God will work it in you, and, it, and it's, it's his good pleasure to do that. That, that blows our minds again. Because the, he does impossible things, right? Right? So if, so if holiness is required, and holiness is to begin immediately, and holiness is to be the all-consuming passion of my life, and the God of all power has promised that he will accomplish that in my life, and that it actually brings him pleasure to do so, what must that mean about us if it's not happening? What must that mean about us if it's not happening? It certainly doesn't mean that God's promises aren't true. It certainly doesn't mean that God's not powerful enough to accomplish it in us. Right? This is why we need Jesus, my friends. This is why Jesus is so beautiful. This is why. Because holiness is required. It begins immediately. And it must be the all-consuming passion of our life. God promises to accomplish it in us. And we can't do it. We can't do it. We have to be crushed by the weight that it is required. We cannot tell ourselves it's okay to go and do that thing that we do every night to comfort ourselves apart from Christ. We can't tell ourselves it's okay to go have a little fun this weekend because Jesus will forgive me. We can't tell ourselves that I'm not going to tell anybody about this. I'm going to go to the grave with this one. That's leaven. It's got to be gone. And the way we do it is we look to Jesus. Friends, I am not joking. He, if we get this, that's when he becomes beautiful. That's when clinging to him be, is not just this idea of something that I think I should do, but it's something that I have to do. I have to do it. Because I'll be cut off from God's people if I don't. And I want to I wanna be part of this group that is getting rescued out of Egypt and carried through the promised or through the wilderness into the promised land. I want to be part of that. Jesus, I need you. Oh, Jesus, you, you forgive me again. Wow, this is amazing. Right? When we wake up in the morning, reading Bible is not a chore anymore. It's, this, it's a desper, desperation. I, I need to be reminded again that holiness is required, that it begins immediately. That it's an all-consuming passion that you promised to accomplish it in me and that I can't do it and that I need Jesus. I need to be reminded of that every moment of every day. That's why I need the church. Right? I, need, I need brothers and sisters in Christ to come alongside me and remind me of this when I'm forgetting it. When I have sinned, I need to be reminded that Jesus' blood covers that sin. When I'm afraid to confess a sin, I need to be reminded that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's nothing to fear. 
better to be ashamed than to be stuck in Egypt. That's why God gives us the means of grace. Because we're so weak, we can't even feed ourselves. We can't even remind ourselves as much as we need to be reminded of how wonderful Jesus is. I, I need to come on Sunday morning and hear the word of God preached. Because my knees are so weak and feeble. I need to see the gospel on display through baptism and through the Lord's Supper because I am so weak and needy. I need to, I need to wake up and be in personal prayer and Bible reading, not as a chore, but as food. And that's again, I'm going to say the evening service again. I know that in this church, probably the evening service became a legalistic thing. And it's true, we are free to not go. But I'm telling you, it's a means of grace. We, we're so weak and feeble and unable to do the thing that God demands of us. That we, we can't leave crumbs on the table. We got to come eat them up. Because Jesus is the bread of life. He, he's, the, he's, the, he's the one who died and he did not decay. He did not become a, a rotting, fermenting corpse. But no, he rose from the dead. Right, to unite us to himself and to, and to bring us and carry us into the promised land. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. Help us. Help us to stand in the truth that holiness is required, that it must begin immediately that it must be the all-consuming passion of our life, that you are the one who accomplishes it in us, and that we desperately need Jesus. That we must cling to him for his forgiveness, for his grace, for his power. Help us to see how lovely he is, that he is willing to not only die for sinners like us, but to carry us through the desert of this life every moment of every day as we hold on to him in desperation as our only hope. Cause him to be the beauty that he is. Open our eyes to love him and to worship him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Help us not to take him for granted. Help us not to think, oh, well, at least I know he'll forgive me. Pray this in his holy name. Amen.